Amen. What a great way to worship the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to begin looking at the book of Proverbs. I call this Wisdom Cries in the Streets. Because here in chapter 1, she reminds me of a street preacher who calls from generation to generation. Every generation hears the call of wisdom. The wisdom of which this book speaks is the wisdom that comes from God. You'll see references here that I was with God in the beginning when he created the world. You'll see Paul's reference that wisdom is personified in Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God to us. But let's look at this book. Wisdom cries to us, calling over the noises of life, for us to listen carefully to her voice. And here's what she is saying. Go beyond knowledge to the practical and the skillful use of knowledge to build a life pleasing to God. Several years ago when I was in the hospital, a Jewish hospital, when I had my heart attack, they, they had a little saying on, their, on their, uh, all their uniforms. Wisdom skillfully applied works wonders. I have never forgotten that. And that is what wisdom in the book of Proverbs is all about. The theme of this book is wisdom, for wise and wisdom occur 125 times. Yet in the last 20th century, last part of this century, our quest is not for wisdom, but our quest is for knowledge. We go to endless Bible studies. We go to endless uh, efforts to learn more, get more knowledge of the Bible. But what really we need is wisdom, which is the skillful, applied, practical use of God's knowledge. Wisdom. Which of us has wisdom? Well, the author of most of the book of Proverbs is a man by the name of Solomon. Where did Solomon get his wisdom? Well, God gave it to him because he didn't ask for riches when he was crowned. What did he ask for, class? Do you remember? He asked for wisdom. And he was a wise man throughout most of his life until at the end of his life, he wasn't quite so wise piling up all those wives and concubines. He said, I don't believe he was too wise. And even became unwise with the queen of Sheba. And as a result, there were pagans introduced, idolatrous practices introduced to his kingdom so that the wise man proved at the end not as wise as we would like. But the Scripture says that Jesus is one greater than whom? Solomon, greater than Solomon. Well, where did this wisdom, how did God get this wisdom to him? Well, no doubt he listened to his father and got a lot of wisdom from David. He must have gotten a lot of wisdom from his mother because in verses 8 and 9, he praises the wisdom of his mother and his father. No doubt the sailors carried the wisdom of Israel to all parts of the world and said, oh, you won't believe what a wise king we have. If you could just get our wisdom, then you would be wise. So he had the models of David. He had the models of Bathsheba. 
He had the models of holy men because in those days virtually every king and every governor had a council of wise men who were an accountability group, but they were also a source of wisdom in making choices and decisions. That's why I'm a strong believer in getting counsel. I believe everybody needs a spiritual director. I think everybody needs an accountability group. I think you need someone to help you make wise decisions. In the body of Christ, we put all of the wisdom of all of this body together, and we discuss and we talk about things, and then we vote things, and we ask for the will of God to be voted by the congregation as we put all of this wisdom together. But in Christ dwells all the wisdom, greater than Solomon he is. Now, the book of Proverbs in Hebrew is... um, is basically uh, the Hebrew word for rule. These are ideas that God has given to rule over us and to give direction to our lives. Actually, all countries have Proverbs, but the Proverbs that came out of Israel came from the hand and the mind of God. And God gave them as truth just as He gave the rest of the Scripture. And so you will see that. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So the Proverbs that come out of God's revelation through God's people are very special. Most countries have Proverbs. The word in, in literally in English means for or in place of words. Instead of a long dissertation, we will give you a little proverb that you can memorize. Since there weren't a lot of books in these days, they memorized truth by memorizing proverbs. For instance, a stitch in time saves nine. Imagine that. You all know that. That's amazing. Now, I could give you a 25-page dissertation on uh, diligence, but Nothing says it quite like a stitch in time saves nine. Or, you'll know this one, early to bed and early to rise to the 915 service makes one what? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. You've all got that one down. See, Proverbs are so easy for us to memorize and remember. In the Zulu language, there are Proverbs even in Africa, and the most primitive And here's one of the Zulu Proverbs. It says, he who walks in the thunderstorm must put up with the hailstones. Now, that's a wise proverb, isn't it? He who walks in the thunderstorms must put up with the hailstones. I like the Scandinavian proverb that says, love makes an old man blind. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? Uh, Pablo Casals married a 27-year-old when he was 91. Love makes an old man blind. And you think about that one in all the applications. The word for the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, and it is the ability to make right choices at the right times. I fear with all of our computer knowledge. Now, you've got to understand, this comes from a computer klutz who has finally learned how to turn it on. But the fact is you can get all kinds of knowledge from that computer, but there's one thing you won't get from it, and that's wisdom. Wisdom. And in an age of knowledge, 
There is a drought of wisdom in our time. Mark Twain had a saying. He said, always do right. He said, it will gratify some and astonish the rest. (laughs) And Harry Truman put that little phrase right on his desk next to the buck stops here. Always do right. It will will gratify some and astonish the rest. Now look in chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs and notice three things that must happen for us to begin to turn knowledge into wisdom. The first thing is we must be acknowledging wisdom. We must be acknowledging wisdom. Look in verse 2. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And then he says to know wisdom and instruction, perceive the words of understanding, receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Now, there it is. The first thing, if we're going to turn knowledge into wisdom, we must acknowledge our need. I am not sufficient for these times, and you by yourself are not sufficient for these times. And notice what David's goal, what what Solomon, the son of David's goal is, to know wisdom perceive words, underline the verbs, receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, there it is. Now, the second thing, we must acquire wisdom by Uh, by knowledge. And look at verse 7. How do you acquire wisdom? The beginning of practical knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why is it we cannot train our young people to listen earlier to what mom and dad have to say? I can remember now things my mother said to me that I couldn't remember when I was 16. I can remember things now my dad said to me that I could not remember when I was 18. But now they all come clear. I can't remember what he told me last week, but I can remember what he told me when I was 10. It is amazing, the human mind. But there's something about youth that says, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And yet the very earliest form of acquiring wisdom is to fall at the feet of a wise God and say, I have nothing to offer anybody of my own. When I stand before this congregation, I have nothing of my own to offer. I have no wisdom. I have nothing but the Word of God and the wisdom of the Word of God. And so he goes on to say, verse 8, My son, listen now, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, and let them be graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. In other words, wear the words of mom and dad around your neck and on your head day and night so that you can acquire wisdom. If I don't challenge you to do anything else in these weeks that we're in the book of Proverbs, I would challenge you to start working with your children on reading the book of Proverbs, absorbing the book of Proverbs, and practicing the book of Proverbs. 
Dr. Bob Cook, who was a colleague in Youth for Christ many years ago, said when he was 12, his daddy offered him $10 every time he would read the book of Proverbs. And so there were 31 chapters in it. He said he could count on 120 bucks a year from his dad. All he had to do was read Proverbs every month. And he said by the time he read it from age 12 to age 18, he said the book of Proverbs was so deeply ingrained and embedded in his mind, he had no choice but to practice it. He wore it around his neck like a necklace. And so he began to acquire wisdom. It won't be acquired by osmosis. Putting your hand on the book and saying, oh God, transfer all the truth of Proverbs to me and now make me a godly, wise, smart man. Make me Billy Graham and Pope Paul all rolled into one or whatever. It won't work that way. It won't work. I know I've got friends who buy books by the scores and never read any of them. But they think because they're on their, on their shelves, they're automatically absorbing the truth. Well, there's a third thing that the writer says here, and that is we should be applying it. He goes on. And you can pick up right there where he warns about the voice of folly in verse 10. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, lie and wait to shed blood, you've got the voice of wisdom calling to you. Any 16-year-old can listen to the voice of wisdom, or any 16-year-old can listen, listen to the voice of folly, saying, come, let us get whatever we want. Let us do whatever we want, whenever we want. He says, oh, no, he said. The ways of everyone who is greedy for gain, verse 19, it takes away the life of its owners. But if you apply wisdom, verses 20 through 33, look at what will happen in verse 33. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely. You will feel more safe and more secure when you have the wisdom of God hidden in your hearts than if you got a million dollars and you've just won the Powerball jackpot. Amen? I'd rather not have that. Did you know money is a burden? Can you imagine if you had $55 million, you probably wouldn't be in church this morning. You'd be at home trying to figure out what to do with that $55 million. I know some of you. You go bananas when you win $500 at the local uh, high school in, in teeny weeny bears or whatever those things are. So here we are, acknowledging, acquiring, and applying the knowledge of God, and that makes us wise. Now, before we examine a particular set of Proverbs, let's notice four things about the different kinds of Proverbs. First, there is the contrasting proverb. You read it all throughout the book, the contrasting proverb, in which the first line makes a statement, and the key word here is but. I know some of you got the spiritual gift of criticism that uh, know these contrasting proverbs well. I love you, but. You're a nice guy, but. Uh, well, here is the proverb. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. What's the rest? But a broken spirit drieth the bones. See, that's a contrasting proverbs. proverb. It contrasts the merry heart with a broken spirit. And the Scripture, this book, which is so uh, like the rest of the Bible, is just filled with statutes and truths and precepts that are contrasting. Secondly, there are many Proverbs in here that are complementing. 
C-O-M-P-L-E. They are completing Proverbs in which the second line carries a statement which agrees with the first, or it restates it or adds to it. For instance, commit thy works unto the Lord, and who knows the rest, and thy thoughts shall be established. There it is. If I make up my mind, I'm going to obey God, it gets my mind thinking in ways to obey God. So when you commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts shall be established. That is why obedience precedes feelings, and feelings follow obedience. I've had women who are depressed, and I'll say to them, they'll call me, and I'll say, what does your ironing look like? What's my ironing got to do with this? Well, go back and iron for an hour and then come and tell me how you feel. Go clean your house for an hour. Why? Because when we commit our works to the Lord, it establishes our thoughts. We will feel better and think better of ourselves when we have accomplished. That's the way God made us. Amen? That's a good rule for children when they're learning to wash dishes. Do it whether you feel like it or not, (laughs) as uh, they used to tell me. I did, you know, my kids would say, I don't feel like doing this. And I'd say, I didn't ask you whether you felt like it. You know, if I did everything I felt like doing, I'd be in central prison today. And so would most of you. We wouldn't be in church. So you can't go by that. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Now watch the complementarity. And thy thoughts shall be established. Third, then, there are comparing Proverbs. I love to read the Proverbs and, and jot down the different kinds. The comparing Proverbs, better is little with righteousness than great treasures without righteousness. Boy, isn't it better to be be poor and have the Word of God on your side and your life on your side than to have great riches and not be right before God? Riches will get to you. Then forth, there are characterizing Proverbs, which use vivid imagery or maybe a figure of speech to prove a point. Uh, Sometimes they're humorous. Uh, You remember the proverb? This is in the Bible, by the way. Um, A beautiful woman without discretion is like a jewel of gold in the swine's snout. I think that's funny. I mean, that's a good one. I'd like to see Kay do a, a skit on that one. A beautiful woman without any discretion, who doesn't know when to shut up or doesn't know when to be nice or when to be cool or when to be kind, is like a pig with a big, delicious, expensive ring in his nose. And you're wasting either the nose or the pig or the the gold, whichever. What man cannot identify with this proverb? You remember this one? uh, it compares the nagging tongue of a of a nagging the tongue of a nagging woman to a continual dripping on a very rainy day. Ooh! Now, folks, I didn't write these proverbs. All I'm doing is quoting them. I'm not the author. I hereby uh, want to, to to remind everybody I didn't write these. We used to read the Proverbs when my children were at home. And John's favorite proverb was, it's better to dwell in the wilderness alone than than to live with a contentious woman in a nice home. Boy, that one is a good one. I'll let him give exposition to that. Which of us has not experienced 
as cold water is to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a fur country. And that's a proverb. But look it, in one short saying, the truth of a hundred verses is given there. I could write a, a dissertation on pride, but nothing says it like pride cometh before a what? A fall. There it is. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs, thir- uh, Proverbs 30, and I want us to look at one short description of wisdom by God the author looking at nature. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24, there are four little things. They're little on the earth, but they're exceedingly wise. Little things which are exceedingly wise. Now, to get a grasp of what God thinks is wisdom, compare the ant, verse 25. They are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. Now, the ant knows enough by instinct in God's creation that he gets food and hides it away for the summer. And what he's saying is that wisdom always includes forethought and diligence. The wise man or woman of God knows his opportunities. And his opportunities mean that he always looks at the future, planning with diligence. The idle soul goes hungry, but not the ant. Now, what's key about the ant here? And the key thing about the ant's wisdom is that though he is exceedingly small, he's very wise because he takes advantage of the opportunity and weighs the consequences of the future. That's what wisdom is. The wise man is not just one who knows the truth about God. The wise man is not just one who knows that Jesus Christ is coming again, but he has weighed the consequences of the future. What if I don't work? What if I don't put away? What if I don't save? What if I don't put up? So that God honors forethought and we, oh, I know Jesus said, take no thought of tomorrow what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, or wherewithal ye shall be clothed. So there's a larger meaning here. Jesus doesn't want us to be uh, trapped or in bondage to today. But at the same time, the man of God and the woman of God who's applying the Word of God is one who takes the consequences of the future seriously. Folks, there are choices for, that you make that have consequences in your future. And be very wise. Always weigh the consequences of your choices. Think of it carefully, because wisdom thinks in advance to weigh the consequences of whatever choices I make. Wisdom finds out what God is doing and cooperates with God, but wisdom weighs the consequences of the future. That's the wise man. When we hire staff at Calvary, I always insert in those qualifying statements that I want every pastoral and educational staff member to be able to weigh the consequences of his actions in the future. If you can, and I could just teach our children and our grandchildren that. Every choice you make as a teenager has consequences in the future. That's the wisdom of God. 
Look at verse 26. The rock badgers are a feeble folk. The Hebrew word would lead us to a, a little animal called a, a hyrax in, in Israel or a rabbit, your living Bible says. It looks kind of like a rabbit, but it's a badger probably. And they make their homes in the crags, in the rocks. Now, what makes them so wise yet so small? Well, here, the, the truth is that they're a very feeble animal. So they live among the rocks, and the rocks are impregnable. So the rocks hide them. So they choose a place to live that compensates for their own feebleness. That's wisdom. Wisdom, in God's view, is learning how to complement and how to, to supplement our weaknesses and our strengths. Wisdom is knowing where we cannot do, but God can. Wisdom is acknowledging our inadequacy so that God can manifest to us his total adequacy. That's wisdom. See, it's not enough just to know the Holy Spirit can fill you. It is to know what is your weakness, what is your strength. I love to ask that of couples when they're getting married. What is your weakness? Or better yet, what is your spouse-to-be's your, your spouse weakness? What is your fiancé's weakness? Oh, they want to look at them as if, have I got permission to tell the truth? <laughs> the fact is, the wisdom of God is demonstrated in the rock badgers. They're feeble, but they live in a place where their feebleness is compensated for by a strength and a stability of the rocks. When I marry, I had to ask, where is my wife strong and where am I weak? So that I can let her supplement or compliment me where I'm weak. Where am I strong and she is weak so that I don't work at competing with her the rest of my life, but I want to compliment her? In our relationship with God, that is always the mark of spiritual growth. I am like the rock badger in that I am wise in knowing how God compensates in my life. I am not able to do this or that. I am weak. Therefore, Lord, I call on your strength. I need you badly. I must have you, God. Samson never weighed the consequences of telling his secrets to Delilah. And he was foolish, far from the end. But Hosea was wise. His lack of love returned from his wife, Gomer. That was the first problem, marrying a woman named Gomer right there. But his lack of love coming back from Gomer was compensated for by his great love from God and by understanding that this was a parable of God's love for Israel. Do you have a complaint against God this morning? Is there any of us that would indulge or entertain a complaint against him? I don't like it because God made me five foot six or five foot two or whatever you are. Do we really have a complaint against the Father who has said, look, I made you and I know your weaknesses and I have adequacy. Where you are inadequate, I am adequate. Where you are not wise, I'm wise. Where you are not strong, I'm strong. Where you have made foolish mistakes, I'm full of grace. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's how we're to take the truth of God and the precepts of God and the wisdom of God and apply it to life and listen to what God has to say. The third one is the locust in verse 27. 
The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. There's nobody to tell them what to do, but they all move forward at the same pace at the same time. That's a miracle. Most of us, have you ever watched anybody stand around watching somebody else work? <laughs> I, 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 I want to watch, if, if one person's working and six are watching, I want to see how long it takes for one of the six to get a shovel or, or do, to help, whatever has to be done to pitch in. That's the one I want to hire. One of our church members was looking for a, to hire a, a helper and said to me, well, which is best? You want to hire somebody who's a go-getter but got some other problems? Or you want to hire somebody who doesn't have those problems and is not a go-getter? And I said, hire the resource every time. Rule of thumb, it's easier to slow down a resource than it is to giddy up a plow horse. Amen? I'm telling you, that's the truth. You can control him. You can do all kinds of things with a racehorse, but it's hard to get a plow horse moving. He's just going to move at his own pace. And so the Bible says here is a wise, here is a wise little thing, the locusts, with no king, but they all cooperate together in ranks. That's what wisdom is. It's learning the principles by which God works. It's learning the ways of God. It's knowing and understanding what God is about. God was moving Christ to the cross to die for us. Now, when you understand that, you can see all through Genesis. You can see it all through the kings. You can see it all through Chronicles and the prophets. He's moving towards a Messiah who's going to die. And so we move like kings. We, we move like, like locusts who have kings telling them what to do. Because we're the body of Christ. In this body, we all have our orders. We all have our gifts. We move together in harmony. We don't sit around worrying about, well, Clyde Landers isn't doing his part. I'm not going to do my part. We all take off and do our part. Uh, Clyde always does his part. I just wanted to make sure he was awake this morning and listening carefully. Did you go with me to a park? Some guy's got a great big dog, and it's on a chain, and it's driven in a spike in the ground. Now, I want to ask you, which link in the chain is actually holding the dog? And the answer is, they're all holding him. See, when God's people are working together, we're all doing the work of God. That's the point he wants to make about wisdom. None of us operates alone. We are cooperating with what God is doing so we advance at God's command, even if there's no king over us like the locusts who have no king. The fourth statement he makes about wisdom is in verse 28. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it winds up in king's palaces. Wisdom is persistence. It's the persistent application of knowledge over and over again. I know that one out of four people I share the gospel with will sooner or later accept Christ. So when somebody rejects me, I just count, that's one. I've only got two more to go, and somebody's going to accept the Lord. Amen? Isn't that right, Kate? That's the truth. So I'm going to, now I got two down. Now I'm just two away from somebody. Sooner or later, if I persistently apply the truth of God, I will see its blessing, and I will see its fruit. And so it is. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands. And you never expect to see it coming through the rocks, coming through the cracks. But he winds up spinning his beautiful web in the king's palace. 
And that's what a wise man does. That's what a wise woman does. That's what a wise child does. That child learns wisdom by applying the truth and the principles and the precepts of God's Word. And he winds up in king's palaces. Who knows what God wants to do with you if you'll just let the Word of God saturate your life and make you a wise man or a wise woman. Every day you and I make choices. Those choices are represented by the choice of folly or the choice, the voice of wisdom. Look in chapter 1 again, one last time, and then we close. See it in verse 10, Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you. Here's the voice of folly saying, come with us. Let us lie and wait to shed blood, verse 11. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let's see what kind of mischief we can cause today. Let's swallow people up and treat them like they're worthless and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. Let's fill our houses with spoil. Come on, cast your lot with us. We'll have everything we want. Don't you believe that? That's the voice of folly. And crying out, and by the way, you don't outgrow hearing the voice of folly. In fact, the voice of folly almost multiplies commensurate with age. And the question of the voice of wisdom is, can we hear her voice above all the other noises we're listening to in the world? It is the voice of wisdom, verse 20. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple-minded ones, will you love your simple-mindedness? How long, scorners, will you delight in your mockery? How long will fools despise God and turn from his knowledge? Turn, repent, choose to follow the voice of wisdom, verse 23. Turn at my rebuke, and what will I do? Boy, when wisdom begins to come, when knowledge begins to become wisdom, I will pour out my spirit of wisdom upon you, and then you will understand my words. I will make them known to you. But until you and I surrender to the Lord and begin to fear Him and turn from listening to the voice of folly, the Bible and its precepts and truths will be just like so much mumbo-jumbo. That is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. It makes no sense that a perfect son of God would have to die for my sin. How can that be? Surely I've got to work for my salvation. No wisdom says, no, no. Acknowledge your inadequacy. Fall at the cross. Understand wisdom is God's. And wisdom was shown there at the cross when he put Christ on the cross to die for us. What will you choose? To acknowledge your failure, your weakness, your inadequacy? so that wisdom can pour out the spirit of wisdom on you and give you understanding of God's Word so that you can be a wise man or woman. Let's stand in prayer. Father in heaven, speak to us, each of us, about our need and have your way in our lives. Call those who have never taken a stand for Jesus Christ and give to those whose hearts hunger and thirst to be wise men and women with practical, skillful application of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.